Welcome to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast, hosted by award-winning television director, documentary filmmaker, author, and speaker, Craig D. Forrest. Join Craig for the next few minutes as he interviews leaders, artists, and creatives about trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Matchstick Media International. Now, here's Craig. Welcome to the podcast. We're talking to a very talented producer, director, uh, with a group called Finally Films. You can find Martha Cotton at finallyfilms.net, finallyfilms.net. Welcome to the podcast, Martha. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You bet. You have a wonderfully long storied career and let's not make it like you're 143 because I'm 157 years of age, but you have had a long career uh, in film and started out uh, working, I believe in news documentaries. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. You know, I, um, after I completed my undergraduate degree, which I, I don't regret at all, but prepared me to do practically nothing. Um, I decided that I wanted to go to graduate school and I applied to a couple film schools and a couple journalism schools. And my mother was horrified because the idea of going into film would be just, it was her worst nightmare, you know, because she was convinced that I'd never work. Um, I did end up going to journalism school at the University of Missouri because- Oh, wait, that's where I was gonna go. Really? In Columbia, Missouri. Yes. Go ahead. Hey, hey, go go Mizzou, go. All right. Go Mizzou, yes. Um, They basically gave me a free ride. Um, I got scholarship and loan, and then I I got a work-study job at the TV station there. Mm -hmm. Um, The NBC affiliate in Central Missouri is owned and operated by the University of Missouri and the School of Journalism. So I was immersed in production and reporting for two years. I had no intention of getting my degree. I went there to learn how to shoot film. And I came out with a master's degree and started working as a producer in Miami. So, um, you know, life sometimes takes you in different directions. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Missouri, as far as I know, Mizzou, for those in America and overseas, it's University of Missouri has a nickname, Mizzou is just how you say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, really doesn't have a film school. So journalism was your option there, wasn't it? Well, they do have- um, But it's not well known. It's not well known. You know, they're trying to, I think, beef that up because there's been such an appetite for film programs. But yeah, they're much more known for, they're known for three things their journalism school, their veterinary school, and their medical school. And their football team. And their basketball team too. Oh, that's they true. Were, yeah. 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 Big, I didn't, big I didn't know that they had a veterinarian school that was well-known. Okay. Good for them. Yeah. So yeah. you work, so you're working um, locally uh, in your, in Columbia, Missouri, which is not a very big city. It's very much what would be the quintessential college town. And, um, and so what happens? Oh, it was so much fun because, you know, the joke was the the university published the morning newspaper, ran the local NPR affiliate and had the TV station. So the joke was that if you live there, you had probably been interviewed at least once, if not more than once by a journalism student. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
And I remember truly being on the steps of the county courthouse when one of my colleagues was having a lot of trouble threading the film into his 16 millimeter film camera. And one of the local officials sat down on the steps and threaded it for him. Oh my goodness. I've never heard of that in my life. Yeah, it was great. So, uh, (laughs) you know, you just, sometimes you just have to throw up your hands and go with it. And the people of Columbia, Missouri have always been very supportive of the J school and the university. You know, I think they just looked on it and says, okay, here we go. It's another, it's another semester. Here we go. So we were also about 45 minutes North of the state Capitol. So we'd go down there and cover the state legislature, all of which is great experience for a news person. You know, they talk about the Missouri mafia and we have certainly proven that um, those of us who went there got a great training and landed well in the um, news and information industry. Mm-hmm. So I just so recently- the, the the master's degree, you know, when you're starting out uh, in in news reporting and with stations and networks, master's degree in journalism, University of Missouri. That looks really good on your resume as far as education, doesn't it? Well, it does. You know, we used to also talk about that because um, a degree really didn't make a difference um, in the practical world. You know, there were a lot of people who were very successful who never finished their college degrees. I'm thinking of people like Walter Cronkite. Mm -hmm. Um, who went to Mizzou and flunked out. (laughs) Ah. So so, um, I think it was much more about what you did and what you had on your reel. And and that is something that we all came out of Mizzou with was a reel. My master's project was to get a news magazine show on the air. And um, I got it on the air and in the number two spot in the ratings in one semester. The only thing that beat us was hee haw. You're kidding me. We were in the middle of, you know, we were in the middle of the state in a farming area and country music was very big. And so I don't think we would ever have really conquered hee haw, but we did okay with the magazine show. Yeah. Well, to, to uh, we have, we're in 31 countries, Martha. Uh, cool. So there may be more, but last time I checked, tell, tell people that are, uh, you know, in distant lands very quickly, what he, he was back in the day. Okay. Well, um, American country music is a big deal. And there was a weekly syndicated show called hee-haw that was a comedy leaning show with country music legends and lots of jokes lots of jokes lots and lots of really corny jokes mm-hmm. um there was a character on there by the name of Minnie Pearl and Minnie always wore this straw boater hat with the price tag on it and a dress that looked like it was in fashion in 1931 <laughs> <laughs> yep and it was a very, very popular show. It must have run maybe 20 years. It, it oh, was yeah. very popular. It was a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, I remember watching it come on and rolling my eyes because, you know, I'm a hip young 20 something. And <laughs> um, 
you know, these days, I'd love to see an old episode just to, you know, just for old time's sake. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm sure if we looked it up, we, we would find it. So you finish with uh, University of Missouri journalism. And I think I read that you went to Miami. Is that about right? That's correct. I was hired to be a producer um, on their special projects unit, which would, would have been series, investigative reports, election coverage, that kind that's of a good, thing. That's a good job. It was a very good job. I was completely blessed landing there straight out of school. I was also in a little over my head, but, <laughs> but that's where you want to be. You know, you want to be working hard to grow professionally and personally. And at that time, there were a lot of Missouri graduates going to Miami. The, my, my, the guy that I was dating went to the Miami Herald as a photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, there were several Mizzou grads who were at the Miami Herald. Um, I went to the NBC affiliate. There were several Mizzou grads already working there. There were several Mizzou grads at the um, ABC affiliate. Um, and we were all in friendly competition, as it were. Okay. Right. So what, ha- what happens from Miami? Where, what, I know you eventually springboarded to come to California and work in film, but you know, you're, as we say uh, in the industry, you don't hear it that much anymore. Your salad days, which is like the first course of where you start. Um, what, what was happening in your salad days, the beginnings of your career? Well, um, I worked in Miami for four years and then I was offered a job with NBC News in Burbank. Okay. Beautiful downtown Burbank. Yep. And it had been my great ambition to work on a news magazine show by the time I was 30. And I got hired by a magazine show at NBC. And when I arrived here, two weeks after I started, the show was canceled. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I had moved all the way across country and I'm still paying off my student loans and all that. And all of a sudden it's like, oopsie. And I remember calling up my old boss in Miami and asking for my job back. And he said, no, <laughs> you're gone. Make, make the best of it. Okay. Um, so so I, how'd, you, how'd you make the best of it? <laughs> um, the guy who hired me ended up uh, on the magazine show, ended up being the new bureau chief for the news bureau here. And he just slid me over into daily news coverage. Mm-hmm. So I was a um, field, what they call a field producer, which meant that I went out on stories and and produced them in the field and oversaw the editing and made sure we made deadline and all that kind of stuff. I was a field producer for Nightly News and the Today Show and specials. I also worked on a show that really taught me the ropes in terms of working on the West coast and what the network system is. Cause every, every company has its own system. There was a show many years ago called NBC news overnight with Linda Ellerby right. and Lloyd Dobbins. And, and, Dobbins. and so yeah. it, and so it goes. And so it goes. And I loved working on that show. I loved it. Um, and it, you know, the show did not survive for a variety of reasons, but all of us who worked on it still remember those days very fondly. So that was my first assignment. And then I worked on as a field producer in the, 
in the rest of, you know, for the rest of the company and um, stayed there doing that for about nine, nine and a half years. It's a long run. It's a long run. You know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for people who stay there for the duration of their career. It's different now than it used to be, but um, I could count on being on a plane going to somewhere at least two or three times a week. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I always at the drop of a hat. So it was a very stressful way to live and also not really good for your personal life, I must say. Right. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, we'd get a call or I'd get a call. This, this is, um, this is pretty typical. I remember one Saturday morning, about three in the morning, I get a call from my bureau chief and he wants me on a plane. Um, he wants me on a 6.30 a.m. flight to the Northwest. I said, well, where am I going? It's on a need to know basis. I said, well, Bob, I kind of need to know. He says, well, call me from the airport. Well, what terminal am I going to? <laughs> you know, yeah. It was like those. And I ended up going to Seattle and one story rolled into another and I was up there for almost a month. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So you just, it was that kind of life for a long time. And I finally said to my bosses, I need some, I, I can't keep doing this. I need a little break. And so I ended up what they say, what, how they term is on the desk um, which basically meant that I was the West Coast news producer for the Today Show working like noon to 10 or 11 at night. But at least you could have a life. Sort of. Yeah. Sort of, it, was, yeah. It, was more of, it was more of a life. Mm -hmm. And I did that off and on for quite a while until I ultimately left NBC. And, and one of the reasons I had a great team, I worked for a great team there and I really liked those people. I'm still in touch with a lot of them, but my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer and I had just come back from Pakistan um, where I had done an interview, you know, produced an interview with Connie Chung with Benazir Bhutto right. back in the day. And um, I got a call from my mom and, um, she had this terminal diagnosis. And I remember going into my bureau chief at the time and just saying, I have to be there for my mom. I have to. And so I stopped traveling and went back inside, um, instead of kind of expanding my career, because I was at that time, I was also talking to, um, people in New York about moving to New York and taking on a, a more senior role. Great conversation with Martha Cotton. We'll be back in 32 seconds. This podcast features engaging conversations with leaders, artists, and creatives sharing about current trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. Today's episode is produced by Matchstick Media International a nonprofit that's passionate about inspiring both visionary leaders and young creatives to harness the power of media to further the gospel. To learn more, visit us at matchstickmedia.org. Now, back to Craig. Okay, back to our conversation with producer, director, writer, Martha Cotton. Where, where was your mom at this time, Martha? St. Louis. Okay. Yeah. 
So I, I am, um, you know, I spent the next 18 months traveling back and forth between Los Angeles and St. Louis. And by the time that was over, I was fried and emotionally fried and physically and all that kind of stuff. And so I just, I took some time off. I took a leave of absence and I just thought, you know, I had always thought in the back of my mind that journalism was going to be a stepping stone to working in narr- in the narrative arena, which is what we call film and television. And uh, along the way, I just got kind of sucked into making the next career step in journalism. And when my mom died, it was really a wake up call because you, I kept thinking, I'll do that someday. Someday I'll do this. Someday I'll do that. You can't keep saying someday because sooner or later, you know, you're one foot in the grave and there's all these things that you didn't do. It passed you by. Yeah. So I was still in my thirties <laughs> and I remember thinking, okay, it's, I need to give this a shot. So I took a leave of absence and thought, you know, I think I want to be a writer. I think I want to devote myself to this, but before I quit my job, let me just take an unpaid leave for three months or two months. I forget how many, how long it was Mm -hmm. and see if I really do right. Because if I don't, if I just fritter the time away, then that's my answer. But if I really apply myself and start investigating this new path, that's my answer. Right. So I took the time off and I've, I finished writing a spec TV script and um, things started happening. And so I thought, okay, this is it. Is this the time that you met John Abnett? Well, yes, it's very, it's very much in that period because after I had tendered my official resignation at NBC, I was still doing some freelancing for them. And I freelanced for ABC news as well. And, um, I got a call out of the blue from one of my former colleagues at NBC News who said, I've been working on this movie and I really don't like it and I want to go do something else. And how would you like to take my place? Up close and personal? Up close and personal with John Avnet. And And Robert Redford and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes, exactly. They needed somebody who could be a technical consultant and help them with some some other aspects of the film. Now, my official title isn't isn't that I think it's like video clip supervisor or something but because somebody else already my friend Linda already had the title of consultant and she'd been with them for half the movie and quite frankly I was thrilled to be there they were paying me thank you very much to stand on the set many days and observe and watch and learn so they could have called me chief bottle washer And I would have thought it was a great idea, you know, and a great deal. Sure. And so I, I did that movie and that movie led to another movie um, called Volcano. Mm -hmm. And I got a producer credit on that and ran my own unit. um, Now Now that's, that's a big deal right there. Yes, it is. You know, and, and I really look at that as, um, being in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. 
because a lot of a lot of movies at that point were doing the reporters tell the story we need somebody to create this little movie within the movie that sure. helped us advance the narrative and that's exactly what i did on volcano okay and in the process i again got to observe and be on the set and watch the way the whole process works and it was during that time that somebody said to me you know you'd be silly and stupid not to apply to the American Film Institute's directing workshop for women. And I thought, well, nobody calls me stupid. No. <laughs> or, go or silly. Or silly. <laughs> or silly, right. So I, I reached out to them and there was two weeks from that initial call until the deadline um, closed for applications. And part of the process was that you had to submit your script for the short film you would would direct as part of the workshop sure i'd never written a short film script i had no clue what the what the rules were how to do it um, and they weren't as ubiquitous as they are today you know we didn't have youtube we didn't have a lot of the the resources that we have today. So I was kind of at a loss. And I remember thinking, okay, God, if this is what you have for me, send me a story. I'm open, send me a story. Mm -hmm. But if you don't send me a story, then I don't have anything to apply with. And, you know, oh, well. <laughs> so I, um, uh, I go down to the barn. Now, at that time, I still had my horses and I was riding and, and I go down to the barn and there's a camera crew there. And um, this woman, a friend of mine came running up to me and she said, I'm being interviewed for the Oprah Winfrey show. And I, I'm really nervous. And could you just come kind of be my moral support and help me through this? And I thought, okay, sure, I can do that. And as she started talking, I realized this is a movie. Right. And, and it just fell into my lap. And so um, her story was basically that she had, she was a gorgeous young woman and um, she had started modeling when she was maybe 15 and walked the runways in Paris and Milan and all these other places but in the process had gotten hooked on heroin. Oh no. And that led to her eventual demise, uh, downfall, not demise. Sure. Um, but her journey back was really quite, um, quite a story. That's a movie right there. Exactly, that's what I thought. And so I pulled her aside afterwards and I said, I wanna tell your story and and I, but I need to know more. So my option price, because she was a smoker, I, we, I bought her a pack of cigarettes and a six pack of beer. And we went, I went over to her house one evening and we sat on the porch and she just opened her heart to me. And that short did become my AFI short. I did get into the program. It was very competitive. It still is very competitive. I got recommendations from John Avnet and Lauren Schuler Donner and Scott Stuber, who's now the head of um, 
of original films at Netflix. John Avnet, of course, won the Oscar and an Emmy and a Tony. You Pride know, one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. And he's still he's still somebody that I consider a mentor. Yeah. Um, and um, Lauren Schuler Donner, of course, you know, produced a lot of great movies. And so, you know, here are these wonderful people who wrote recommendations for me, which certainly helped get my application noticed. The script that I turned in was a mess. Um, and I really spent a lot of time refining it. But when it came time to um, shoot the film, you know, the, the workshop says, okay, this is your week to shoot. If you don't shoot in this particular week, we will not support the rest of the process. Okay. Well, I was like, okay, well, I better get it done, you know? And so I started doing prep and finding a producer and doing all that stuff. And out of the blue, the, the, one of the producers on Up Close and Personal called me and said, can you come in and talk with us? We have a little problem. And I said to him, Scott, I said, I'm prepping my AFI short. I really don't have time. Just come in and talk. So I went, okay, fine. I'll come in. He goes, I'll buy you lunch. It's like, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch, don't you? No, there aren't. <laughs> so um, I, I show up and lo and behold, they had a problem with something that I could fix so easily. It would take a little time, but I could help them. So I did. And, and all of a sudden it's now like four or five days before I'm supposed to start shooting the problems resolved. And I go to this producer and I say, look, I got to go. I, I there's still stuff that I have to get done to prep, to shoot my, my short. And he looked at me, he goes, okay, what do you need? And that, that movie called deep impact <laughs> um, paid for my, one of my primary locations my camera package, a 10 ton grip and electric truck, walkies, cell phones, beepers, my first day of catering, my stock, props, and I forget what else. Oh, my first day of catering. You, you basically <laughs> paid for your shoot. Oh, uh, yes. And the dolly and studio air conditioning and a trailer. Sure. So, yeah. So they did. And um, when we sat down after the fact to reconcile budgets and everything. One of my producers on the short said, you know, she said what they contributed is worth about a hundred grand. Ooh. And I could never, ever have um, pulled all that together myself. I just don't think I could have. Yeah. And so the lesson I learned from that is, you know what? People help people who help people. Uh -huh. And that was a very good lesson for me. But you would also say, and you, you talked about it um, a few moments ago, you're a person of faith. And mm -hmm. if you keep, keep doing the right things and, and keep close to the Lord, uh, you tell me what you think, but he'll open doors you never could have opened yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I, I think about that because I've been through a long season of not open doors. And there's a pastor that I've at a church that I occasionally visit who has talked frequently about the Joseph experience. Mm -hmm. 
where you have great promise um, and then doors close and you're thrown in jail for all, all intents and purposes. And it doesn't mean that you're on the wrong path. I have frequently prayed, God, if you don't want me here, if my time is over here, I am happy to go sell insurance in Iowa. I am happy to go do something else. And those doors have not been open. Right. So, you know, I had great, when I got out of AFI, I had great promise and there was lots of things that looked like they were going to happen and they did not. And that is really, I think, part of the journey in Hollywood for a person of faith. You, you have to be willing to hear no as well as yes. And as you were talking about earlier about the, the importance of craft, it is really important for us as, um, as people of faith to do what we do as unto the Lord. You wouldn't, if, if Jesus were coming to dinner, you wouldn't just throw together leftovers. Or TV dinners. Exactly. You know, you wouldn't microwave a lean cuisine. You would, <laughs> you would roast a lamb or, a, you know, a prime rib or something like that. Well, it's the same with our artistic endeavors. John Paul II wrote a wonderful uh, work called Letter to Artists, and you can find it online. Um, in it, he talks about um, how as artists, we reflect the creativity of God. That's good. And that, you know, just as, you know, God called into being everything that is, um, you know, with light and sound and, and water and earth and everything that, um, that the, the, the creation that we live in is so amazing and it's not second rate. No. And that is what we are called to as artists because we are a reflection of that. And his point was that the church needs to find a special place for artists and support us. In the secular industry, in about a third of what I've shot and produced directed camera crew all over the place, it doesn't matter to them if you're a Christian or not. It matters to them if you're good. They yep. hired you because you're good. And if you're not good, you're gone. Exactly. That's basically it. In Christianity, I keep hearing from people, we don't care if you're good or not. We just want to make sure that you're a believer. And the storytelling many times leaves a lot to be desired uh, in, in what we would call faith films or, or faith media. And I just think, especially after reading Exodus 31 about Bezalel and Aholiab who were called by the Holy Spirit and Moses chose them because God on Mount Sinai said, these are the guys I've already set up to do the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, the basins of washing, the menorah, all these things. And the Holy Spirit has gifted them and filled them with his Holy Spirit and already trained them with talents in embroidery, perfumes, of costume design because uh, Bezalel created by God's design the high priest, which was Aaron, with the 12 stones of the 12 um, tribes of Israel, his priestly garments, 
All of these were done to the edification and to the glory of God. And God picked good people that he uh, gave immense talent to. And I think that we as Christians, if we're going to do anything in the creative arts, it should be with the best abilities that we have. Amen. Amen. Preach it, brother. I'm preaching it. I'm preaching it. Learning a lot in this conversation, uh, her background and experience as a professional with Martha Cotton. I hope you join us for the next episode and we'll pick up from there. You've been listening to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast with Craig D. Forrest, brought to you by Matchstick Media International, dedicated to excellence in media through inspiration, vision, and education. To learn more, visit us on the web at matchstickmedia.org. That's matchstickmedia.org. Your generous donations, large or small, help defray costs for producing this creative podcast. Thanks for listening and subscribing.